looking. Deep pattern downfield. Touchdown, Miami. What a throw, Devontae Parker. Holy smokes, what a drive. We are on day two of the 2021 draft preview extravaganza with Kyle Krabs of the Draft Network, the managing editor for Dolphins Wire on USA Today, and the esteemed host of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Kyle, day number two here for us. We're going to preview the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round, the entire gamut here for the Miami Dolphins draft. And we're going to close out with your seven-round mock draft for the Miami Dolphins. We're going to talk about prototypes and much, much more on this edition of Drive Time. First, though, Kyle, welcome back in, man. Thanks. Uh, is that all we're covering today? It's just the, the whole darn thing, huh? This is this is going to be fun, man. This Yesterday was fun. Today's going to be even more fun. One of my favorite sayings, the middle rounds are the money rounds. Chris Cruz had some good successes there. This is good class for those. I always really get excited about an hour or two before the draft starts on Friday because you get all that flurry of possible trade rumors. Teams coming up to get their guy they think fell out of the first round that should have gone in the first round. Two rounds of drafting. It just doesn't get any better than this. We're going to preview all of that. But first, I would be remiss as my little girl just turned 11 months old last week. will be a year here in May. It's, it's gone by crazy fast. Kyle became a new father, a girl dad as well. Shortly after I did... Kyle, how's it going for you? My little girl's tearing the, the house apart because she's running around right now. She learned how to walk quickly and then turned it into a run very quickly. How's how's uh, dad life coming along for you? It's going great. It's it's a new something new every single day, <laughs> and uh, she is just nonstop. And it's one of the things where I'm incredibly blessed with what I do to to work remotely and and be here for her every day. And it's just very quickly become my best friend, my little film buddy, and. Uh, the world's second biggest Dolphins fan behind you, Travis Winfield. So. <laughs> Has your crying increased way more? I've noticed I'm so much more emotional when it comes to her. Like my wife got me this Father's Day book that's like me. It's like Caroline and Me is like the name of the book. And it's it's like a stock book where they kind of change out the names. That's all like, you know, generic ad lib type of or mad libs type of a book. But every time I walk into her room, I look at that book and I like well up. You have any of that going on? I would be lying if I said there haven't been a couple like animal rescue videos on Facebook or uh, I'll I'll tell you one. It's it was my daughter's baptism on Sunday and my wife repurposed her wedding dress to create my daughter's dress for her baptism. And when I first saw the picture at the end of last week of my little girl wearing this tailored dress of my wife's wedding dress. Oh that was God. one that definitely got me. Uh, okay, let's regroup here. Let's get it back together. Let's, let's pull tissues. it in. tissues. Yeah, yep. we're going to have to just yep. go off of that topic because I can't handle it. I literally cannot handle it. So let's, <laughs> let's get back into the draft and talk about some more manly stuff. You know, we're men here. We eat beef jerky. We, we, we go on riverboat gambling trips. But I want to talk about the running back position to start this off because we're here at pick 36. If you didn't catch the... Tuesday, I think, episode of Drive Time here. We talked about the first round, the offseason so far to date. Plenty of good content in that podcast. And again, if you guys are not familiar, Kyle Krabs, a Locked On Dolphins podcast daily, does a great job with that over there, as well as writing a bunch of stories every single day for Dolphins Wire and, of course, the Draft Network, where those guys are just kicking ass this time of year, every single year, and year-round. But 
pick number 36, we talked about this on the 18th pick portion of the previous podcast, how the running back position has changed as far as the way it's perceived across the NFL, where it gets drafted. And we talked about this possible run at the beginning of round two with Jacksonville and the Jets. To me, that pick with the Jets has Travis Etienne written all over it. At pick 36, are we going to get a crack at one of these top running backs? And if we do not, is there anybody that makes sense at that spot at the running back position? So if, if none of the perceived top three, and uh, that's generally the consensus is those, the top three guys, if none of those guys make it, you, you probably need to regroup. You need to look at 50 and 81 or, or decide, you know, do we need to manufacture some additional picks to find a better value? And the dolphins did, you know, this is one of my big issues with, with the draft is there's so much of a, cons- a perception of, of bad signings or bad trades or bad draft picks, but like the law of averages says you're not going to bat a thousand. It's impossible. So I thought the dolphins last year, they, they caught a lot of flack about how the running back run kind of caught them there in the second round uh, when they had the, some of the chances at 30 or at 39, but they still managed to go out and get a productive player during his time in San Francisco in Matt Burita, who's since moved on after the one year deal. And, When you make the amount of volume of transactions that every NFL team makes on an annual basis, you're not going to bat a thousand. And I think that's one thing that I really appreciate that the Dolphins have done is they've embraced the volume perspective of drafting. So that way you have more flexibility to kind of pivot and adjust. Uh, So, you know, I don't think they should have any regrets for handling the room the way that they did, even if they didn't go out and get one of the top five rookie running backs from last year's class. So, if it plays out that way and none of the top three perceived backs are there at 36, it's not time to pull the or push the panic button or pull the ripcord or anything like, like there's going to be opportunities and Chris Greer will find them. He's shown through the first uh, two years of unquestioned control of this team uh, that he's going to have the ability to do that. But uh, as far as, will we see one of them? I feel better about it now than I did a couple of weeks ago. Um, As far as there were teams uh, in the back half of the first round, uh, playoff contenders, Super Bowl contenders uh, that I had had some conversations with that indicated that running back would be on their short list. And it's like, well, shoot, if we get one of these teams in the late 20s or in the 30s that drafts one of the running backs, then the numbers game starts to get a little scary for Miami. But uh, the team that I had had that conversation about has made some transactions and added a running back to the roster. And it seems as though uh, they're going to go a different direction. So that at least helps me feel a little bit more comfortable or confident. The wild card is Jacksonville. If they draft Trevor Lawrence and they want to get Travis Etienne, I know they got James Robinson and he was productive as a runner, as an undrafted free agent, but good players shouldn't prevent you from drafting great players. And if Jacksonville thinks Travis Etienne's a great running back prospect and they want to have that backfield intact from Clemson, that may be the curveball that could change things as far as one of these three gets to Miami at 36. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. I didn't really consider that as an option because of James Robinson's breakout rookie season last year as a UDFA. A lot of fun to watch him, but hey, a two-headed monster also helps your young quarterback there and Trevor Lawrence too. So we'll we'll find out what happens come draft night. And I, I really am curious to see what type of pull 
you know, Coach Eric Studisville has, who has been up or not upgraded, uh, promoted from running backs coach and running game coordinator to co-offensive coordinator. And you talked about on the previous podcast yesterday about him getting production out of Miles Gaskin in the seventh round, the addition of Matt Breida in the fifth round last season. And now we've got Malcolm Brown as a new addition here this season as well. I'll be very curious to see what happens at that position. But as we move along here, you know, we talked about receivers a lot on the podcast yesterday, but the hits just keep coming here, man. Kadarius Tony, Rondell Moore, Elijah Moore, Terrence Marshall, Diami Brown, like who of these guys do you separate among, or like who separates himself as the clear-cut best option at this pick? How many guys do you think are in play at pick 36? And just kind of give us your rundown on this, I guess, second tier of receivers. And, and maybe it's just me, but I would put one of the guys that we have here at 50, Amari Rogers, in the same bucket as these guys here that we have listed at 36. And, and for some of them, maybe even in front of. Uh, Terrence Marshall is has some parallels to Devontae Parker's game. So there's you know a clear model of that kind of player. Uh, but he's apparently been flagged for some medical stuff at the medical checks in Indianapolis uh, that had some teams reportedly uh, – dinging him for medical stuff. And you may potentially see him slide where he was in conversation. There's a lot of wide receiver needy teams in the twenties. So potential late first round kind of guy. But if you ask me to pick one that I really like out of this group, it is Elijah Moore out of Ole Miss. Uh, Explosive plays. That's going to be the name of the game. Anytime we're talking about wide receivers and winning vertically down the field. And he's another speed guy with a lot of burner ability. He's similarly built to Jalen Waddle. So if I'm going to pound the table for Jalen Waddle, there's no reason why size is going to deter me from pounding the table as a later option uh, for Elijah Moore. And, and watching him in that Lane Kiffin offense was a lot of fun to see the ways that they got him involved, got him touching the football. Um, and I think his release package off the line of scrimmage against press coverage, I know that was one of the questions, Travis, that we talked about yesterday about Jalen Waddle. Uh he he's going to put you in the blender at the line of scrimmage and Kadarius Tony, to be fair to Kadarius Tony, he went up to the senior bowl. He did the exact same thing. Uh, those two guys have really, really rare short area quickness. So for Miami, it's okay. Do you want another big body guy to play outside? You have two really tall guys in Devonte Parker and Preston Williams. Do you want some of those speedy guys to compete with Jakeem Grant for those reps? Do you want some of those hybrid slot type guys like Albert Wilson coming back from opting out and Lynn Bowden Jr. who's probably going to be that kind of player with his style of play. So they got a couple different subsections of what this wide receiver room looks like. Elijah Moore would fit into that Jakeem Grant bucket just like Jalen Waddle. And Peter Schrager came on the podcast a couple weeks back and talked about how he believes that Kadarius Tony and Rondell Moore are not just picking or, or you know positioning for that possible fourth receiver off the board. He thinks they might even be able to disrupt the top three, which I don't agree with. But like you mentioned, never say never when it comes to the NFL draft. We have seen never. crazier things before. The John Ross selection a few years ago was a big curveball in that draft. It happens every single year. Let's, and I also want to go ahead and mention that I'm glad you mentioned Elijah Moore. I kind of gave you a thumbs up when you said that because I continue to hear the exact same things about this guy. And the more I do, the more I think, I don't know if he's going to be there at pick 36. So he's got a lot of buzz. Probably not. Yeah, if we're being yeah. honest, probably not. Yeah, and that's, that's a bummer because that's a good spot to get him if you can. But maybe we don't have to worry about that because it is a Jalen Wall or a Kyle Pitts or whatever it might be in the top of the first round. Now, I think... Personally, Kyle, this is where the offensive line conversation really heats up for me because you start to introduce the interior 
the interior of the offensive line with Landon Dickerson and Creed Humphrey and, and Dylan Raddins, who's a tackle, but maybe can kick inside and maybe even Quinn Miner to will come back to maybe in the second portion of this round. Um, Jalen Mayfield, Samuel Cosby. There's so many guys in this class that, that might go off the board in this range. Who are the best fits? Is this a good time to take an interior offensive lineman? Uh, just, just talk about this offensive line class at pick 36 to kick off the second round. Yeah, I think this is, this is a really compelling group. And I think, Again, going back to what we've seen the Dolphins gravitate towards, I think the average weight of the, the 10 guys that they've brought in since the start of the 2020 offseason is 325 pounds. So, like, they like big dudes up front. And you got a big dude in Landon Dickerson, 330 pounds. Uh, for my money, he's, he, he's going to give you the most appeal for Miami. Uh, experience working with Tua Tagovailoa. Uh, experience in the style of offense that it seems like Miami wants to take some of and replicate taking what Tua did successful at Alabama and transplanting some of that over uh, very active in communication on the line of scrimmage. Uh, and he's, he fits the physical mold, but and the medicals are super scary with him as far as he's got a pretty extensive list of injury issues uh, that may cause him to slip a little bit. So uh, much like Jalen Phillips, the discussion that we had yesterday, if you're just evaluating him off of his fit and his style of play and his talents, Landon Dickerson is that dude. But from a medical perspective, that may cause those dynamics to change. In Creed Humphrey, uh, wrestling background is super apparent with him. I really like his ability to, to work across face and, and kind of win gaps uh, by reaching pl defensive players and how well he uses his hands in close quarters. Uh, you'd be hard-pressed to go wrong by drafting either one of those two if you trust Landon Dickerson to stay healthy or if you're going to pick up Creed Humphrey and ask him to be that keystone piece in the middle. But uh, I do think it's going to be interesting to see how Miami chooses to flesh out the inside. They obviously invested so much in offensive tackle last year, and uh, they signed Eric Flowers and, and, and Solomon Kinley with the mid-round pick. And, okay, do you choose to not just address that spot? Do you choose to invest in inside the way that you invested in offensive tackles last year. Um, and if they do, this is probably the spot you're going to have to get one of Dickerson or Humphrey or else you're going to have to come back to the board later. Yeah. And you, you had sent me a text a while back about some workout metrics and the explosion that it tracks in comparison to this, the size of these guys and how that kind of has been the Dolphins mold on the offensive line. And the other thing I would add to that is obviously position versatility because beef and, and explosion explosiveness and, and position versatility have been definite prototypes on that offensive line. So I'll be curious to see how much they weigh that into the decision if they go in the offensive line in the second round. Another position that I think is very attractive here and at 50 is the possible edge spot. And it kind of has that, you know, maybe the weak part of the top of the class pushes some of the, these guys down into the 36, maybe even to the 50 range. And I had a hard time separating 36 to 50. I mean, it's only 14 picks apart, so it's not the easiest thing to do. But the guys I listed for you, Kyle, Peyton Turner, Greg Rousseau, uh, Aziz Ojalari, Joe Tryon, Jason Owe, and then Carlos Basham, who I can't, to me, I'm very confused by the perception of Carlos Basham. To me, he's a first-round pick all day. I think that especially for the Miami Dolphins and what he brings, he is almost Emmanuel Ogba light in the way he plays the game. But is that list of guys good? How many of those guys do you think I should bump down to 50? And is this a possible spot for Edge to come off the board for the Miami Dolphins? I would not be surprised if Gregory Rousseau out of this group is the guy that goes closest to 50 or is there at 50. Um did not play in 2020 for some teams that's going to matter more than others. 
Uh, his pro day testing, he was 266. He had a really good 10-yard split, but everything else he did was okay. You know, he, he didn't hurt himself, but he's one of those players where so much of his success at Miami in 2019 came on inside gaps. And if you can get him up to 275, 280, 285, I'm really excited about his potential as kind of that hybrid defensive lineman. But if you're going to play him at 265 and ask him to rush off the edge, I, I think that developmental curve from him is significantly steeper than taking him and asking him to do what he won at in 2019 as a redshirt freshman. But uh, Basham, yeah, it, it, late last week, the, the, the Twitter timeline was talking about Carlos Basham all day and how this guy's underappreciated. And you mentioned Emmanuel Agba, my working comp for him, I had two names that came to mind. It was the Boise State evaluation of Curtis Weaver, who the Dolphins drafted in the fifth round. And from an athletic profile perspective, uh, I think Shaq Lawson's like the most immediate comparison to the athletic profile that he presented. So those were two Miami Dolphins right there. So he definitely fits the mold of what Miami has looked for and gravitated towards in the edge rushing group. And he's another one of those guys that dominates at the line of scrimmage, wins the point of attack. Uh, He's been very productive, both in tackles for loss and in sack production, finding the football. His sack ceiling or pass rush ceiling is not as high as Peyton Turner out of Houston. It's not as high as Joe Tryon out of Washington. It's not as high as Jason Owe out of Penn State, but Owe played this past year and didn't log a single sack. And, and, you know, his athletic profile is through the roof, but he's what we we talked about with Quiddy Pay yesterday as far as developing into your pass rush plan. Owe, you're almost starting from square one. Uh, So, you might get to that point on the board and say, hey, we're at 36. We trust ourselves to develop players. The ceiling here is immeasurable. Uh, but I would probably stack him behind guys like Carlos Basham and Joe Tryon and even probably Peyton Turner, uh, who is another really interesting name. He had a successful offseason campaign with what he did. Azizo Ojolari is the one for me that I'm a little lukewarm on as far as he played around 245, 250. Um, he he would be more of the Van Ginkle type role for me personally, based on how he wanted Georgia. But if you're drafting him and asking him to play and take those Shaq Lawson type reps, um, I think they would probably go for a guy with a little bit more size, whether it's Tryon or Basham or Turner. And this, this position group and the way you kind of went down that player by player, you know, not to say that I'm sitting here from a position where I get the draft right every single year, every single pick, it's far from that, but I've just had so much difficulty this year figuring out which groupings of these players, and maybe there's the lack of evidence we have from this past scouting you know, cycle that's causing that same problem for me, as I'm sure it is for many scouts and, and decision makers alike, but I just cannot figure out which direction you might go from here in the old if this, then that tree, the game that I love playing this time of year. Now, at the end of yesterday's podcast, I teased one of your favorite players in this draft to come up to the linebacker position here, and I've got two guys in this list. To me, one of them goes in the first round. The other one does not. The one that does not is your your guy, your bread and butter, your, your dude. Jamin Davis is the player I'm talking about from Kentucky with the incredible testing time. And then Baron Browning, who worked with Miami at the Senior Bowl and Coach Campanelli, and there was a great segment with him coaching him up and hitting the bag and stacking and shedding and him yelling at him. Coach Camp is great. So talk about Baron Browning. Talk about Jamin Davis, this linebacker spot. After all the additions we, we saw, Bernardrick McKinney and Duke Riley and Brennan Scarlett, mm-hmm. is this position in play right here? And, and is it Baron Browning, if anybody? 
Oh, I still think that Kyle Van Noy role needs to be occupied by somebody. And whether you're going to trust Andrew Vinkinkle to take that role totally, if you're going to take trust him to take it partially and get somebody a little later in the draft uh, to take it, I, I think that's up for debate. Uh, Jamin Davis, to me, projects a little bit more as a true like Mike linebacker as far as his developmental ceiling, and he's going to get drafted high. Like the closer we get to the draft, the more and more confident I am he's not going to be anywhere close to available at 36. Like he he will be gone based on the momentum and the trajectory of the narrative around Jamin Davis out of Kentucky. But length and pass skills and, and sideline to sideline speed is a great combination of things to have. It's not too dissimilar uh, from Tremaine Edmonds out of Virginia Tech, who got drafted 16th overall by the Buffalo Bills a couple of years ago. Uh, he's not as big as Tremaine Edmonds, uh, but Edmonds was similar, prototypical length, sideline to sideline speed. I would say Davis is smaller. He's probably also better in coverage than what Tremaine Edmonds was coming out of Virginia Tech, and he got drafted 16th overall. So that's kind of the ballpark. I think top 20, top 25 for Jamin Davis is where you're going to hear him get his name called. But, man, Baron Browning, I get so excited about his evaluation, and it really stems from the fact that he was recruited to Ohio State to play outside linebacker. And then Luke Fickle left like three months after he, or, or three weeks after he committed to Ohio State. And then they played him inside. And then this past year was the year that they finally moved Baron Browning back outside. And his tape this year was so much better. And it allowed him to get out of trying to process the entire offense and read all his keys and the ways that they used him as a guy who's 6'3", 245 pounds, who runs 455, as a pressure player off the second level, slash flexed out into the slot, up on the line of scrimmage, uh, his zone drops are textbook. One of the things that we did at, at TDN this past year is we had uh, an NFL externship where we had two active players in the league who spent some time with our scouting department, and one of them uh, Andrew Dow is a linebacker for the New Orleans Saints. And I had a chance to watch Baron Browning tape with him sit down and just we're like jaws on the floor. We watched the Clemson game and the Alabama game. The last two games that he played, when he finally had a couple of games to kind of work his way back into, okay, I'm an outside linebacker. I'm not inside anymore. And he was textbook with his zone drops. And I think about where Miami struggled the most, and it was that middle of the field, countering those over routes, those deep crossers, Baron Browning has the ability to hit those landmarks, make an impact there, and also be an impact player in the pressure situation. So he's a really exciting player for me when you try and project. And then you also add on the layer that he was there at the Senior Bowl and the Dolphins had a chance to coach him for a week. Uh, there's some dots there that, that if they like him, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they chose to draft him and, and let him take some of that plate that's left behind by Kyle Van Noy's departure. You make a really compelling case, man. Like I'm, I'm over here like, yeah, let's turn the card in right now. Let's go ahead and make that happen. And, and it kind of goes back to the conversation we had on the podcast yesterday about this, the Dolphins kind of doing things their own way in the front seven. And you've seen so many different formations from this group, whether it's a, a two, four or three, four, maybe even a one, four, sometimes they'll go ahead and toss out four linebackers with only one down lineman. They've done some crazy different packages up front and, I think Flores can never get enough linebackers in this defense. So I think it certainly comes into play at that spot. If not earlier, you never know. And I want to go ahead and finish up this 36th pick with our first talking about the defensive backs because, you know, J.C. Horn, Patrick Sertan are great players. 
I don't think they're going to be there at 18. I don't know if they're on the Dolphins' radar at that spot because of the influx of defensive backs we have in that room. But at this spot, maybe there's some value. Maybe it's the three names I have, and you can add to this, Kyle. Asante Samuel Jr. for the fact that he can both play inside-outside. Trayvon Merrick from TCU, the, the rangy safety back there. And then Javon Holland, who's your kind of classic you know, box safety type of guy. Are those the three names you would go with? Who else would you add to that list? Is this a spot for defensive back, possibly? Yeah, I think this is the right group of names to be talking about here in the early second round. Trevon Morrig, if he's there in the early second round, man, he's his ability to play in the high post and be the single high free safety is really exciting. And uh, TCU, Gary Patterson, uh, the, the head coach there, they play a really interesting style of defense in which they have three separate calls. They, they've got the box, they've got the front side, and they've got the backside, and the front side is the read side. And Trevon Morrig's most often playing into the field, so he's on the read side. And it's all pattern matching and sight adjustments and you know, making your reads as far as what you're – so it's a very cerebral style of, of playing in coverage. And it's not just, okay, we're going to play him 20 yards deep and trust his sideline-to-sideline ability. And no, he, I mean, he's cutting routes over the middle of the field. He's jumping down to the catch point. He's getting down into run fits, and that was one of my favorite things about listening to Eric Rowe in the preseason last year is talking about uh, the biggest evolution for me in changing from corner to safety is getting acclimated with what the run fits are and understanding what my gap responsibilities are. And, like, all of those things matter. And for to have a cerebral player who you know in this Brian Flores defense, he, he's talked about communication being one of the primary variables that is important to them on the back end of the defense. I think Trevon Warwick has the ability to do that. Uh, Javon Holland's surprised with his athletic profile. Uh, he's done a little bit of everything at Oregon, but the anticipation when you watched him play was athletically, uh, he might not be a top shelf athlete. Well, he made the most of his time off. Uh, he opted out of 2020 and uh, he tested really, really well, like way better than everybody's expectations are. So I think he's pushed himself probably up in the top 50 conversation uh, so if you want a guy who can do it all, I'll be interested to see uh, just how much Miami wants to put on Brandon Jones's plate. Obviously him as a, a mid-round pick, third-round pick in last year's draft and got on the field a good bit and made some really nice flashes for the team. Um, they're going to go with some sub. Is he going to be the third safety de facto? They're looking for competition. Um, the, those are questions that only the Dolphins are going to be able to answer, but that would be the type of role I would envision for Javon Holland. I'll go with a not-so-humble brag here and, and just say you're welcome for getting questions like that to Eric Rowe uh, when those guys come up to the media. We've we've been looking for those questions for a while, and I'm happy to be the one that can deliver them for you in those press conferences. Uh, Kyle, we've, we've taken quite a bit of time here for the first three picks. Let's go ahead and pick it right back up at pick number 50. Kyle Krabs, the Draft Network, Locked on Dolphins, USA Today, Dolphins Wire. And let's just go ahead and go through a few of these positions real quick. Uh, running back spot, I've got Michael Carter. Does anybody else belong in that position to you? Probably not. Uh, and I'm not even sure Michael Carter, uh, with what his strengths and weaknesses are, is going to be a player that he, he feels pretty redundant to what you have in Miles Gaskin uh, at this point. Um, so I don't think running back 50 would be the spot that they would make a play in that if they were to miss the first wave of guys. Perfect. Look at you hitting the quick moniker right away. Now, the receiver position, you talked about Amari Rogers coming in this bucket right here, and I, I am inclined to agree. I just think he's one of those guys you watch on tape and you say, 
That guy's going to be a good football player wherever he goes. To me, he looks like one of those guys that goes to a high-powered passing offense and just catches like 80 balls his rookie year. Does he fall into this spot? I know you mentioned him at pick number 36. And then I've also got, uh, let's see, Amon Ross St. Brown, um, Dwayne Eskridge in the spot as well. Who else do you like in this spot at the receiver position? Yeah, I think that you you may see Rondale Moore here too, who we talked about at 36, just because of the injury issues. He had a hamstring issue in 2019. I think it cost him eight games. And then he came back this year and missed the first half of an abbreviated season with, lo and behold, what was a hamstring issue. Uh, so uh, it, it's anytime you get those small, speedy, they're like exotic race cars, right? Where they, they got to be finely tuned. And if something's just a little off, it really impacts their game. So uh, Rondale Moore and durability may drop him into this conversation, but uh, Amari Rogers built like a running back, yeah. 5'10", 211 pounds, uh, had a chance. I went down to the, the house of athlete combine that was put on by Brandon Marshall. And he was one of the guys that was there. And it's like, that's a wide receiver. No yeah. way. Like he, he's slapped together really well. So when you think about his style of play, a guy who runs a lot of bubbles, he'll work in traffic in the shallow areas of the field. And then he, he was able to attack down the field and uh, bounce back and got his explosiveness back after playing in 2019. I think he tore, tore up his knee in, in March and played the whole season, but you could tell he wasn't explosive. He's got that explosiveness back now. So uh, I think his style of play, remember, uh, Tony Elliott was reported to be on the list of candidates potentially Miami was interested in interviewing for their offensive coordinator vacancy. Uh, so if that is true, then that would be a player that you think they would like some of what they saw if they liked what the offense looked like. So uh, Amari Rogers is definitely my favorite out of this group. Uh, Eskridge at the senior bowl was another one of those guys who just put guys in a blender and run runs confirmed four, three with laser time. Uh, the concern with him is he was originally a defensive player and then transitioned over the offensive side of the ball. He's a little bit of an older prospect. If that's something that's going to, you know, maybe deter you from drafting, uh, he's a little bit more physically mature, uh, but coming from Western Michigan and having to transition from the defensive side of the football, uh, that may cause for a little bit steeper transition to the offensive side of the game in the pro level. Pretty rare to see a defensive back go over to receiver. It goes against the old right. adage, right? Like, oh, he can't right. catch the ball, put him on defense. But he did the opposite. And like you mentioned, he really shined at that senior bowl. So I'll be curious to see where he goes off the board. And speaking of guys that change positions, you know, I mentioned him at 36, but going to the offensive line now, Miami got their hands on Quinn Minerts out of Wisconsin Whitewater. And this guy has become a, a Norse god of sorts, a mythical legend in the draft process and the draft run-up. And he was a guy that kicked inside and played center at the Senior Bowl. I know you love this guy. Talk about him. I've also got Trey Smith right here. Is this too high for him with his medical? And also Alex Leatherwood, the tackle. So I really went tackle center guard at this spot. Who do you like? What do you think? I think Trey Smith is, this is probably a little premature for him. Um, you, you feel for him. He missed some time with the blood clots issues. And uh, then Tennessee played him at left tackle for a bit. But Tennessee's a program that has consistently had issues with developing talent. I would say Trey Smith right now is the same caliber of a player that he was when he showed up as a freshman phenom at Tennessee. So hasn't had the opportunity to develop his game quite to the degree in which you might like. Uh, so that's kind of a, a cause for question at the very least. Alex Leatherwood will probably be gone by here at, at 50. He's got experience playing both guard and tackle. Uh, so that versatility will move the needle. And then 
Uh, he showed up at the Bama Pro Day like 312 and jumped in like the 98th percentile in the standing broad jump. So there's some explosiveness there. And I don't think he played at 312, but he got down to 312. And that's a great testament to how dynamic he is in uh, linear situations, which is what any fit for him is going to be best served to ask him to do, which is play vertical and get off the line of scrimmage and move bodies. But I think he's a, he'd be a great fit for the Dolphins. It's just a question of would he be there? And if he's there at 50 and you haven't taken an offensive lineman yet, like, yeah, that's it's he played right guard and left tackle. So you know at the very least he's going to be able to play on both sides of the line of scrimmage, inside and outside. Uh, Quinn Miners, there's a connection here with Wisconsin Whitewater. Uh, he shares an alma mater with a very significant member of the Dolphins coaching staff, Eric Studisville. Uh, also from Wisconsin Whitewater, there's the Senior Bowl connection. Uh, he is 320 pounds as an interior offensive lineman. We've talked about how the Dolphins like big players up front. Uh, so I think there's a number of dots to connect here where if they enjoyed that experience coaching him at the senior bowl, it might help with the sales pitch to make that decision, despite the fact that he played at a small school in Wisconsin Whitewater because they worked hands-on with him all week long. Yeah, it's, I'm in, I'm in on that guy. He's, he's so much fun to watch the videos of him chopping down trees up in Canada. It's just, it's so fitting and so perfect for an offensive lineman. You talk about the wrestling background of Creed Humphrey this just goes hand in hand with offensive line too. Just guys that are burly and got the big gut hanging out. I love watching him play ball in that sense. Now we got to pick this up, Kyle. We're kind of we're taking a long time on this, but I'll go ahead and group together the entire front seven at this spot. I listed Levi on Wuzariki out of Washington. Nailed the mm-hmm. pronunciation there. Um, a couple of guys at the edge spot as well. I think kind of some follow some some trickle down from that thirty six spot. I don't have anybody at linebacker. What do you think at the front seven at this spot? So on Wuzurike is, is a guy who really helped himself at the senior bowl as well. He showed up on the first day and he was a player you didn't get a chance to see in 2020. And uh, he was phenomenal on the first day as a penetration type player. Um, what I look at in the front seven, it's any of those leftover guys at edge that might be there. Uh, that is kind of the sweet spot for, I'd feel really good about the value of getting any one of those guys. I think, Peyton Turner's probably going to be gone. Carlos Basham is a fair chance to get there. It sounds like Joe Tryon's going to have a, a big uh, group of teams that are liking him. So this Gregory Rousseau, Peyton Turner, I think, or Carlos Basham um, are some of your reasonable names to look for here. And if you haven't taken an edge group, those are all traitsy guys in different ways. Um I think they all have appeal for Miami, and that's obviously why they're on this short list to talk about uh, because they stylistically fit what the Dolphins are looking to do. So I I have a hard time seeing a, a top 50 pick, and I'm sure Miami will go a different direction and prove me wrong here, but I have a hard time with a top 50 pick on an interior defensive lineman just with how much depth they have in that group right now. And we move on here to the 81st pick in the draft, the third round. Going to be a bit of a wait there from round two to round three. And then we have a long wait from round three to round five, where we pick once in the fifth round, twice in the seventh round. And we'll go ahead and speed through the day three picks and some of your favorite names. I'm going to kind of rely on you for that, Kyle, because this year it's been a little bit harder to get the information yep. on those guys. And you guys do a great job of rounding out the entire draft, all seven rounds. So we'll lean on you for that. But at pick number 81, Uh, The running back spot again, you mentioned Michael Carter maybe comes back into play at this spot. I put down Trey Sermon out of Ohio State, Kenneth Gainwell from Memphis, and uh, Jarrett Jefferson there as well. So who do you like in that group? Is this a spot where maybe the Dolphins go running back? 
if they miss on one of the big three, Trey Sermon is the guy, as yep. far as I'm concerned, to really look for as an early down runner who's physical between the tackles. I uh, played around 215 pounds. They ran a ton of inside zone there at Ohio State. You look at that offensive line with Wyatt Davis at right guard and Josh Myers at center. And those are big bodied guys. And, and Miami ran a lot of split flow zone and, and inside zone this past year. And um, Sermon really picked it up he transferred from Oklahoma uh, but then he comes out and starting the Michigan State game there's a three-game stretch in the second half of the season for Ohio State uh, he was hurt in the national championship game but Michigan State Northwestern and Clemson he put up like 700 rushing yards in three games it was like unbelievable and it was just he got a lot of help from his offensive line but he was running with confidence again and uh, running inside zone between the tackles kind of showing patience when he needed to putting his foot on the gas pedal when he needed to that's the guy at running back for me if you miss on one of the big three guys. Let's go ahead and group the offensive line with the the edge position here and kind of talk about that in totality. I put down Jackson Carmen from Clemson, Spencer Brown, and Ellerson Smith, both from Northern Iowa at the spot. Now, I know both the Northern Iowa guys blew up their pro days and their workouts. Jackson Carmen, a big dude that started plenty of games there for a very good Clemson team. Who do you like in the trenches, possibly in the third round? So this is, this is a bit of a dead zone uh, as far as I'm concerned with valuation and ideal value versus the merits of the players. Uh, I would be remiss to to not mention Josh Myers, the center from Ohio state. Uh, I'd also be remiss to not mention Ben Cleveland, another interior offensive lineman from the university of Georgia. You want to talk about big offensive lineman. This dude's built like the mountain from game of Thrones. He's 354 pounds. Like he is a monster at right guard. Uh, So Miami, Obviously, Solomon Kinley, they, they like that size there on the inside. Uh, I think both of those guys as third-round options may be a little rich, uh, but like I said, it's it's kind of a dead zone there. I really like your call-out for Ellerson Smith as a toolsy developmental guy. And I think there's a couple of other options here, too. Janarius Robinson from Florida State was another guy that was down at the Senior Bowl, 6'5", 266. He is a, a prototypical first-off-the-bus kind of player where – he's going to intimidate the other team when they see him and say, Oh, okay. Like this is what we're up against today. He looks the part. Now, unfortunately uh, his development was stunted much like we talked about with Trey Smith at Tennessee, Florida state has really struggled with player development. I thought the light bulb came on for him a little bit in the first year with a new coaching staff, but his ability and consistency in creating pressure and, and penetration plays is not where you'd like it to be. So, uh, you're drafting him there based on traits if that's where you're going to choose to, to covet Janarius Robinson. And this is where we kind of introduce the defensive back position really in earnest for the first time as far as the depth of the, of the group. And maybe these guys go up a little bit higher, but I've got my personal favorite in Tyree Gillespie. That, that Alabama tape alone put him like as a day two pick for me right off the bat. You don't stand up Najee Harris at the goal line and then chase down Jalen Waddle as on an end around and not catch my attention. Jamar Johnson from Indiana had a hell of a game against Ohio State and really was a big reason why that was a contest late into that game. Richie Grant seems to have everybody's eye from UCF after his incredible senior bowl week. Paulson Adebo, a guy that was a possible first round pick last year who came back and now has kind of fallen to the second day, maybe third day idea. Elijah Molden, uh, I'm going to butcher the safety from Florida State. Nazrul Dean is his last name. Hamsa, I believe, is his first name. Um, yep. is, this, is this the spot where maybe defensive back starts to come into the conversation? And do you like any of those guys in particular? 
Yeah, I think there's some some really interesting hybrid type players. And you mentioned Elijah Molden, who played some deep safety, but if we're being honest, he's a nickel at the next level. And and obviously the Dolphins have brought in some competition to go against Nick Needham uh, with the decision to sign Justin Coleman in free agency. So if you're going to be a competition-based group, uh, Elijah Molden in the slot would be a lot of fun. Uh, he is a super smart football player. I think his cerebral style of play w- would really be attractive to Miami. Um, I look at, if you're looking for a hybrid safety, I'll do you one better from Hamza Nasseladine, and I'll give you Divine Diablo from Virginia Tech, who is six foot three, 226 pounds, uh, a very good tester as far as his pre-draft process. He's got a lot of range. And you think about hybrid safeties and what their appeal is, and it's, okay, can he get into the slot? And that's not necessarily where he wins. He's more of that added safety that's, that's going to kind of be the scrape defender and run fits when you're in those conflicts with two tight ends on the field, like we talked about on yesterday's show about what the appeal of bringing Kyle Pitts into the phrase. It gives you those personnel conflicts. I think he can be a player who can develop with time into that. But Jamar Johnson from Indiana is the best name that you mentioned in this group. Uh, he can play in the slot, play man-to-man. He's got really good ball skills. He's physical. He's played split half-field coverage and had success doing that. Uh, go watch him flip his hips and open against a vertical route in the, in the honey hole against cover two against Michigan and watch him blow that receiver up on the sideline. Like He can do a lot of things on the back end. So that's the exciting player for me in this group. Let's go ahead and speed round this thing to close it out. Before we get to your seven-round mock draft, I do want to hear you go over who you're picking in this class if you've gotten Mm -hmm. that ready for me, Kyle. But Mm -hmm. let's go ahead and and day three, we know the Dolphins have a fifth-round pick and two seventh-round picks. We'll see if that sticks, if they actually stay in those spots and make those picks. Let's go position by position and just a few words on a player you like. I'll go ahead and start because I don't want you to take my running back from me. I'm going to go with Kylan Hill right here. This was a very productive player before Mike Leach got there and winds up opting out. I thought Mike Leach arriving there was going to open up his passing game prowess or or, or unlock the ability to showcase that he can do it in the passing game. Didn't quite happen for him this year, but Kylan Hill's my guy on day three at running back. Who is yours? Well, let's be fair. He caught eight passes in the opening game against LSU before he opted out for the season. So you weren't wrong. You got those catches in in that game. I just had to hit on my uh, I got, a little bit. I got two backs. Ramondre Stevenson from Oklahoma, uh, 227 pounds. He's another physical guy. Uh, but the one that, that's kind of the gem that I would love to see Miami get a crack on on day three if they needed to is Chris Evans from Michigan. Uh, he was academically ineligible in 2019 came back this past year only had a handful of carries I think it was under 20 carries of the football I think he had 25 touches on the season um, but 511 216 uh, he had phenomenal testing numbers at the Michigan Pro Day uh, every test like plus 40 inches in the vert uh, he was in the four fours for his 40 yard dash time I think he was four 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 his agilities uh, he ran like a six eight three cone so like for a bigger back, he checked a lot of athletic boxes and he's got low tread on the tires because he was ineligible in 2019 and he played a very abbreviated role this past year. So that's kind of the shot in the dark day three back that I like. And Flo spoke glowingly about him at the Senior Bowl as well, too. So some good company there. I'll let you go ahead and kick us off at receiver. Oh, thanks, Travis. I appreciate that opportunity yeah. to give a little love to my guy, Emir Smith Marset yes. from the University of Iowa, 6'2, 186, former track background. 
And I'll tell you what, man, he won a lot more than he got the football at Iowa. That The, the quarterback play there at Iowa, if you get the all-22, you're biting your tongue at times, man. Like, man, put the ball on him. He had opportunities down the field, game in and game out. Uh, he, ha- he did have a DUI uh, this past fall, and his season ended. He did a front flip into the end zone to celebrate and injured, uh, had a lower body injury that stemmed from that. And it unfortunately ended his season prematurely. So there's some things there that I think are going to contribute to him probably being available on day three. It's just a question of if Miami doesn't get any additional picks, does he get all the way there to you? I think that pick is at 156. That's the question. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and take a guy who, you know, First of all, your Iowa passing game comment is evergreen, by the way. But uh, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and take Tutu Atwell, even though he came in at 144 mm-hmm. or whatever it was. And the reason I'm doing that is part A, because I want to say that I'm heavier than an NFL wide receiver. And part two, I just love this guy's competitive toughness at the catch point. Obviously, he can blow by people with a straight line speed and the game speed more so than the testing speed. But I was so impressed by the way he was able to track and catch the football down the field, even with that small frame and the way he competed with that small frame. At tight end, I don't have much of a little explanation for you here, but I'm going with Tommy Tremble out of Notre Dame. Who's your tight end pick? I think Tommy's going on day two, to be honest with you. I think he can do enough. Uh, I like John Bates from Boise State. He was another guy that that ended up going down to the Senior Bowl. Uh, He's not really a standout player in in his receiving skills or his blocking skills, but he does everything very well. Um, He's probably going to be that fifth, sixth round tight end. Uh, that's going to have to cut his teeth on special teams a little bit. But I think he's got soft hands. He found voids in the middle of the field. Uh, John Bates from Boise State would be my day three tight end. And go ahead and kick us off on the offensive line. Oh, man. You want me to go first? No, I'm going to go Trey Hill from the University of Georgia. Center, uh, 6'3", 319 pounds at his pro day. Uh, You had a chance to watch him play alongside Solomon Kinley in 2019. So you know that uh, there's a fit there as far as if the Dolphins like Solomon Kinley, they're probably going to like some of what Trey Hill brings to the table. Uh, power center, I think he has the ability to, to reset the line of scrimmage uh, pretty consistently. And he's got a good reach, you know, for a center. He was over 30, I think 33 and a half inches in his arm length. So it's uh, those people will ask why does arm length matter? Well, but that ability to create that first punch, especially as a center, when you're in close quarters and everybody's so close together, you know, that extra inch or two inches can really be the difference in you being able to consistently dictate first contact. So Trey Hill from Georgia is a day three offensive lineman that I like a bit. You know, we've seen length as a, a priority for the staff on the offensive line. I mean, I talk about it all the time. Jared Jones Smith, the AAF signing at training camp. I stood next mm-hmm. to that human being and I was like, we are not the same species. This is <laughs> unreal to be <laughs> next to this person. My pick is going to be from BYU, Brady Christensen. Maybe he's not, Maybe he's earlier than this. Maybe he's later. You can tell me. But I just like the way he plays from a technique standpoint and a competitive toughness standpoint. I think that he checks a lot of the boxes the Dolphins like in that regard on day three as a developmental offensive line. I'll go ahead and keep it for the defensive line and go ahead and go with Cam Sample. Kind of a squatty body explosive first step. think he can give you some stuff off the edge in this defense. What say you? I'm going to give you Adekumbo Ogundiji from Notre Dame. I've been working on that one a long time. <laughs> so I actually did that one on Locked on Dolphins. Had a couple Notre Dame fans say, hey, this is how it's pronounced. Make sure you get it right. Put some respect on my guy's name. You talk about length up front. He's got like 35-inch arms. And he's got really surprising hand utilization to be able to understand, okay, i got to attack this guy at his wrist, get his hands off my frame, uh, bend, 
explosiveness aren't hallmarks of his game, but he's got long arms. He can win at the point of attack and he understands how to deconstruct blocks. Those things combined with his stature at 6'4", 256, make him a pretty attractive day three prospect for Miami in my eyes. And go ahead and kick us off at linebacker as well. It's a name that we haven't mentioned yet. I'm not sure where the league's going to end up settling on him. Uh, but Pete Warner from Ohio State is 6'3", 242, so he's a bigger linebacker. I'm watching him against Clemson, and like Clemson's motioning away from him, and they end up uh, rotating him and playing him in high post. And so playing all the way back at 242, playing like free safety against Clemson. So there's some really nice versatility there, and you watched him in the box, and he's really physical, and I like the way he hits, and I like the way he gets it gets down into challenging offensive linemen. So I don't hear a lot of buzz for Pete Warner. I have a really hard time getting a feel on where the league stands on Pete Warner, but I'm higher on him than day three. But if he's there on day three, like you need a, you need a linebacker, you need some insurance for Bernardrick McKinney, uh, who's looking to bounce back from an injury that ended his 2020 season. Pete Warner would be a good way to go. I'm going to stay right there with you. I'm going, to, I'm going to say Pete Warner myself on day three and take the easy out and finish us off here in the secondary with DeMar Hamlin out of Pittsburgh. Of course, another guy at the Senior Bowl with the Miami Dolphins playing that safety position. Got himself a pick, and Brian Flores loved it on the sideline when he got that pick in the game. Round us out here, Kyle. Safety, defensive back, cornerback, whatever it might be, who you like? And Cameron Bynum from Cal feels like such a lazy one because he was at the Senior Bowl, the Cal connection with Coach Alexander there in the secondary, but... Uh, as a guy, you're looking for those later picks who might be there and be available and plays tough. Uh, I think he can be a special teams guy. Cameron Bynum, I think, has enough connections to Miami that I think he, he's one to watch there at the end of day three. I'm going to throw it right back to you here and put you on the spot, and I'll go ahead and wrap it up afterwards and, and maybe critique it a little bit. Have you got one yet? Have you put that seven-round mock draft together? Is it going to be, or are you going to publish that thing and, and go ahead and throw it at us? All right, so I did this one especially for you guys here on the show. Perfect. So, love it. Uh, at at six, I do have the Dolphins drafting my preferred choice of the Alabama wide receivers, Jalen Waddle. Uh, at eighteen, of course, I'm using the DraftNetwork.com draft simulator. So I was kind of at the mercy of some of who the players were and weren't that available. So that's always the tough challenge that this puts you in. It's a lot of the names that I would typically associate. Sometimes they're there, sometimes they're not. I went with Quiddy Pay. At 18 overall, defensive end from University of Michigan. Uh, at 36, I did land Javante Williams, the running back from North Carolina that we talked about. Uh, at 50, Travis Quinn Miners is the pick there at 50, so I know that'll make you happy, hopefully get an A grade out of you. Uh, 81 is the actually where I did land Pete Warner, the linebacker from Ohio State. Uh, so tail end, middle of round three. Um I didn't get a chance to, to really – Baron Browning was gone. Uh, I needed to get the running back, I felt like, at 36. So I just – Baron Browning or Pete Warner sitting there at 81 was an attractive fit for me. Another senior bowl guy we did not mention, Joshua Bledsoe from Missouri in the fifth round. Uh, he's a safety who plays primarily in the slot. A lot of man-to-man coverage. He's super scrappy. I think he'll play really good on special teams for you. I like his demeanor quite a bit. And then the two uh, seventh-round picks, I picked William Bradley King, a defensive end from Baylor, formerly of Arkansas State. Uh, prototypical build. He's got the length, the, the density, the size that the Dolphins like at their defensive end position. 
And then another defensive back, Avery Williams from Boise State. Uh, this, this dude has the best special teams cut I have seen in the last few years as far as blocked punts, punt returns for touchdowns himself, uh, blocked punts that teammates are returning for touchdowns. Uh, he's showing up on defense. Uh, he's not overly big, but Avery Williams from Boise State, uh, he had said in his pre-draft process, some teams were talking about potentially spending some time as a third down running back and catching the ball out of the bat. Like he, you want to talk about versatility and the Dolphins love guys, the more you can do, right? Avery Williams from Boise State was a guy. I saw him there at the end of the simulation. I said, oh, I got a draft. Is it pandering to my guest to say it's an A draft? I mean, you, you got the playmaker, the explosive playmaker, the explosive separator, a four-down player in Jalen Waddle, who I think just fits right into this defense and gives you instant production and changes the way the defense has to play against you from day number one. So home run pick there. Quiddy Pay at number 18. We talk about the fit, the lateral agility, that first step get off, give him some runway, let him use those loose hips and kind of run those games and move about the defensive line. You've just put another dynamic piece to your front seven. Javante Williams at 36, the running back position to me is now solved. To me, the best running back in this entire class, and I just love what he brings to the game. Quinn Minerts, to me, could step in at day one and play center for you. Maybe, maybe he's a year two guy after we see what happens with Matt Skura this season. So I love that pick. We both talked about Pete Warner and the value he provides at that spot to give you another piece in that front seven. And I'm going to go ahead and admit to you, I'm not familiar with Bradley King's game, so I can't give you a grade on that seventh round draft pick, which I know terrible of me. But the special teams value you added there in Bledsoe and then Williams at the end, that's right up my alley, right up the Dolphins alley. A plus draft, my friend. I do what I can. I'd like to think I know the team a little bit. What can yeah, I say? It works. The whole draft and Dolphins thing is a, it's not a bad avenue for you, Kyle. You're doing pretty good at it. With that in mind, thank you so much for spending two hours with me today recording these two podcasts. I think we gave the fans everything they could hope for. A reminder for you guys, the draft party at Hard Rock Stadium. Myself, John Kinjemi, Channing Crowder with you guys on night one. We're going to have different guests, Dolphins alumni, people coming up to the stage. Tons of fun. You can stream that on YouTube as well, as well as the Dolphins social channels. Plenty of coverage coming your way from the Miami Dolphins side of things on draft night. We'll go ahead and close it up here, Kyle, with what you're working on, what draft week looks like at TDN. Promote the stuff, man. Yeah, so while you're at the uh, the Dolphins draft party, if you want to you know, hear what, what my reaction is to the picks, we do have live coverage, nights one, two, and three. Three days, baby. Uh, for the NFL draft, we'll be live streaming a couple different places, the Draft Network social channels, uh, the Locked On Podcast Network's YouTube channel, uh, Brinks.tv is another place we're partnering with with them to provide coverage as well. So we'll have streaming uh, all throughout the buildup to the draft this week, uh, like wire to wire throughout the day. It's going to be a busy week, but that's hey, this is our Super Bowl, right? So we, we got to bring it. Uh, and then obviously the, the streaming on the first three days, and then we'll be doing some uh, draft class recaps in the immediate aftermath of the draft over the next couple of days after that to make sure fans of all 32 teams and yours truly is right in the Dolphins one, uh, recapping the draft class, the prospects, how they fit the pieces of the puzzle, why they made the decisions that they made. Uh, so it's going to be really great. And you can find me on Mount Social at Grinding the Tape. You said it all, Kyle. Here we are. Draft week is here. The good time, the best time of year in the offseason before the games start. And you're going to earn yourself a nice long vacation after this is all wrapped up. And then in August, come back down for training camp. and We'll do Miami right. Sound good? That sounds great. I appreciate you having me, Travis. Thanks a lot, Kyle. That was was fantastic. 
All right, how about that for a lengthy couple of podcasts? We recorded that, both those episodes all in one shot. One last reminder, draft party at Hard Rock Stadium. You heard Kyle talking about the TDN party as well. You're going to have content for this draft for the Dolphins everywhere on the internet. Go ahead and come hang out with us at Hard Rock Stadium and check us out on YouTube. In the meantime, you all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Give me a follow. It's at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank and the Audible Podcast and MiamiDolphins.com. We're going to have coverage of every single day of the draft on the podcast, on the website. Again, endless, endless Miami Dolphins draft content for you guys coming your way. Until then, until next time, fins up.